Welcome to Mark My Words, a podcast that not only aims to inspire and teach the listener about entrepreneurship, it also aims to give my guests an opportunity to talk about their unique journey in entrepreneurship and life. So join me and my guests as we meet at the crossroads on Mark My Words. Today on Mark My Words, my guest not only has a really awesome, strong background in nonprofit, which I can't wait to talk about, but they also have something really, really cool in common with me and something that's really close to my like five-year-old heart. I was reading Christian LaFer's LinkedIn profile prior to doing this episode, and he made references to the underdog cartoon from the 1960s, one of my absolute favorite cartoons growing up, talking all about Simon Bar Sinister and robbing people's potential away and taking over their minds and it's bringing back a flood of memories. And if you didn't grow up in that, like, 60s, 70s, like, early, mid-80s time period, you probably don't know what we're talking about. Go to YouTube and look up Underdog. The episodes are there. It was one of the most brilliant cartoons of all time. And I had to open this show talking about that Christian LaFer, he is the founder of Instant Nonprofit. He is CEO of Yiki Kaye Nonprofit Solutions. He is just, he is Mr. Nonprofit as far as I'm concerned. And he is here on Mark My Words. Christian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Super excited to be here. I am fantastic, Mark. And, uh, yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned the underdog. I, I sort of didn't forget, but that's a little bit in the rear view that I put that on there. Uh, but I love that we have that in common because um, I remember, you know, you've got Simon Bar Sinister and his henchmen, and their job is to go um, turn people into these zombies that uh, they, their eyes go you know, googly eyed and they go, I will do what Simon says. And so they lose their own humanity and their own identity to kind of becoming, you know, uh, an unwitting dupe of this mastermind evil guy. And then uh, underdog, who seems very inept and sometimes is, comes along and ends up, you know, saving the day in spite of himself. So I just love that uh, entire model. And I've always been out to help the underdog. And uh, it's, it's, it's what makes me it's, it's what makes me go. Um, and then that's tied to your mention of Yippie Kaye, which I probably should clarify that a little bit. The company corporate name actually is still Yippie Kaye because whether you're a Bruce Willis fan or uh, Gene Autry, uh, you know, more of the, the diehard or the, or the helpful cowboy, you know, it's all about shedding light into the darkness, fighting the bad guys and opening up a way for people to, you know, live and succeed and thrive. 
um, no matter which which persona you like about Yippie Kaye, the problem I ran into is in my in all my genius, try spelling Yippie Kaye when you're trying to remember that company that helps you start nonprofits or 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 you know go to the URL or whatever. And and plus, you know, without running into all the expletives that go along with the Bruce Willis version. So we ended up uh, rebranding as Instant Nonprofit, but Yippie Kaye is still that sort of irreverent, fun, get it done and, and help people, whatever the cost sort of uh, persona that we embody, you know, in, in internally here. And we really want to convey that to people and empower them with it. Well, first of all, thanks for clearing all that up. Secondly, I respect you a lot now that you mention it for even making that a company name. That really <laughs> is kind of a complex word. It's a, it's a very cool word, but it's like, wow, how do you even spell that? I mean, a grammar exactly. spelling snob like me, I'm even like, I don't know how to spell that word. So, yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And then <laughs> what... One thing I want to say, one last thing about Underdog, it wasn't necessarily Underdog who was in that, it was Shoeshine Boy, his <laughs> exactly. alter ego. That was the part yes. that, that was in that. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's an important distinction. It is. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize I had so much passion for that cartoon still <laughs> until I read your bio. Like, oh my God, he loves underdog that's amazing yeah it, it might you know gary vaynerchuk is known for um his goal in life is to like buy the new york jets and and you know that's how he'll know he really made it in life and he's like he just says you know he talks about this all the time and one of my secret missions in my life is you know can i buy the underdog franchise and just like own that little piece of the history or something it's just silly but it's one of those things that's fun to to muse about. And uh, I like to do, I like to look at things sometimes in what I consider altimeter goals. It shows you the height you've gotten to. It doesn't really have to do with how you got there or where you're going. It's just what height have you gotten to by some, you know, readout. And I have a couple of those readout altimeter goals, I call them that just say, hey, you've sort of made it if, you know, it's not the money in the bank. It's the fact that you have you know, a 1980s hair band that you're in doing covers for like nobody who cares, right? It's these little things that say, this kind of means that I made it in a way that is meaningful instead of like, oh, I want to have X dollars in the bank or I want to have 5% body fat, which I'll never have. Well, it's interesting what you're talking about, about feeling like you made it. I always had a vision of myself where I would get to this point where I would just have this overwhelming feeling of like euphoria and just complete peace. And in that moment, I would put my feet up on the desk and just be like, I'm not motivated. I have made it. I have done what I want to do. And the thing that I've learned about that is that I think it's very, very, very unlikely that I'm ever going to feel that way, at least until I'm very old and, and and can no longer do anything, I guess. Totally, totally. Very old or very dead, right? Very dead. Yeah, that too. I, I didn't really want to take it there, but well, <laughs> since we're going there, I mean, 
yeah, well, uh, I, I think that was more or less what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You so, know, the deathbed conversation ha- can almost be cliche anymore, you know, because like coaching and personal improvement has itself become cliche in many ways. And, you know, everybody's trying to be their best and follow their dream and all that stuff. But um, these altimeter goals are a thing that like you can say are at least just a milestone, right? Because you're never people that people like you, you know, and, and I, I hope I always keep this quality about me. We'll always want to do something else. I'm like, what is retirement? I can't even relate, right? I always want to do good things. And, and even if I have say some money in the bank or I'm comfortable or whatever, um, it's, it's never about that, you know, and I have another really big altimeter goal. Like this means my company made it. And it's, again, it's not some monetary payoff, but it's this idea that I have that I'd be like, okay, that means that I've, I've, I've done okay. I've, I've done some other things would have to be in place for this to be in existence. So that's, that's kind of how I try to look at goals and targets anymore because it just feels money or, or certain things that you, you want to write down when you're like doing your new year's goal setting just don't feel that exciting, you know? No, I, I totally understand that. And I think for me, one of my goals was to just take a little bit more control over my life and give myself the freedom to be doing things like I'm making more time to be doing like this podcast and to keep that going and to give myself time to maybe pursue other things I've always wanted to do. So I feel like I'm inching more and more in that direction, which is amazing. And it's just all about staying on task and uh, staying within your goals. So that's amazing. I feel like you definitely have a more defined system than I do. I'm just kind of like shooting at the hip and kind of just living my life like I don't know. But uh, one thing that I am organized on is where I want to take this conversation to next, which is talking a little bit about how you got here. And I saw that politics, at least from what I can see, has been a passion of yours for a long time. You majored in political science. Uh, Did you know before you even went to college that you wanted to be involved in something political? Yeah, so that's uh, it's it's an interesting topic. You know, when I was a kid, I, um, you know, I had a single. My 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 mom was a single mom, and my dad was kind of you know an entrepreneur, uh, but not a lot of guidance, you know, not a lot of like, here's how life works, kind of grew up very much a feral child, figuring out things on my own and just like riding my bike into the woods and, you know, figuring out where I was. Oh, it's getting a little dark. I wonder what town we're in, you know, out in the woods in North Jersey, uh, or, or, or throwing it, throwing an inner tube in the river and then just going as long as I could. And then I'm like, well, I'm kind of tired. It's dinner time. I wonder where we are, you know, going to some general store. Hey mom, can you pick me up? And so, but that's kind of been very much, very similar and analogous to my career path. Um, 
I just thought I would get a job when I could get a job and have some money and stuff. And then I realized there's sort of that blue collar, you know, gas station worker money trap and you start getting used to paying for things. And then you're, how are you going to go to college and, and not have any money coming in and all that stuff. But I did make it to uh, college uh, eventually. And I remember uh, I wasn't sure of my major. They're like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know you know, business, how do you pick? How do you, this, that seems like a really big decision. And so I remember I was a, I was a business major. And one day uh, I realized that that wasn't really floating my boat. And I took this and I always, I read a lot as a kid. So I took this history course with Dr. Melvin Weissman and absolute, this guy could have taught at Harvard, but he taught at the community college that I started out at. This person was brilliant. And that professor would be able to transport you to ancient Mesopotamia. And you like, you're just feeling it the way he would describe things and the way uh, he would introduce you to these different world history topics to me was like, I was just done. I was just like hopelessly interested in that stuff and um, switched my, switched my major to history and eventually it was history poli sci. So fast forward, um, I'm in, I'm in college at Rutgers University, which is like, we call it Harvard on the Hill, you know, Harvard Ivy League for the regular guy. Um, and, and they did have great, it's a big school in North Jersey and they have great, great professors. And it's a long, it's an old school, a lot of tradition. And I ended up taking a class with someone whose dad was in solidarity in Poland, right? When the fall of the Iron Curtain, like his dad was like, one of the guys like risking being shot by uh, organizing the shipyard workers in Poland and saying, you know, enough of this communism. And I remember him transporting me to that time where his, he is and his dad would drive around to the checkpoints in Eastern Europe, handing bottles of vodka to get through from one country to the other and stuff. And I remember being very motivated about uh, people that I couldn't believe that unlike America, people in other parts of the world were shackled to these systems that didn't allow them to be their best. So I got involved in what I would say, I hate to use the word politics and politics has become so polarizing. Um, I became very passionate about certain issues, primarily freedom and for people to direct their own path. And so I did, I got involved in some organizations that helped direct legislation and held people accountable who were in office to um, the principles of liberty that I came to cherish uh, because I believe in the underdog and I want the little guy to have the biggest chance. And I believe the system that has offered that for all its flaws is right here in the United States under our constitutional system of law. Now it's hard anymore to bring these things up without people dividing along party lines. So I always like to say, I was party agnostic. If you were against freedom, you were on my list. Fair enough. And I mean, I'm kind of like the same way. I mean, I have obviously grown up through the same era and have seen, I mean, I feel like when we were growing up, politics wasn't really like, the topic that it is today. It's not, it, it was a much different world. It's not that politics wasn't important, but it wasn't like the cutthroat environment that it is today. And I actually 
had kind of uh, interest in being, I, I, my minor was public administration and I had kind of an interest in political things myself. I think I was definitely a little more politically like minded when I was younger, but as we've gotten into the 21st century, I mean, I, I have, I'm a much different person. I'm not going to necessarily say I, I've lost interest or don't have any interest, but it's def I, I definitely don't have the personality to be like fighting some of the battles that are going on today. I'm just like, look, I just want us to have the best world and you know the safest, the best, the most fair world that we can possibly have. And I don't know if that's like a cop out or whatever, but that's just kind of how I feel. I'm not really like, you know, absolutely adamant one side or the other or whatever. And uh, I think at this point in my life, if I did feel that strongly politically, this would be a completely different podcast than it is. But <laughs> that's yeah. basically where I stand. Like, I, I'm definitely behind you on on how you feel about that. I appreciate your perspective on that. And, you know, I think everyone, if they were faced with, if they realized how rare in history, the point of all the comforts and the uh, systems that we have that simply just work, some of which we've seen breaking down in the pandemic, you know, supply chains are like, as a matter of fact, I love Jack White, right? I'm a big fan of Jack White and, and White Stripes and Raconteurs and Dead Weather. God, they're great. He is calling his current, his new tour, the Supply Chain Issues Tour, which I just find so funny because <laughs> this is this whole new idea that's come into our consciousness by not having what we want when we want it every second. And, and some people are saying, oh, this is good, you know, for people to not get everything they want and, you know, all that stuff. And, and I get consumerism's out of control and, and all of that stuff. And there's a lot of waste that, that's really unnecessary. But what this brings up to me is just, an appreciation of what we do have and how we have had the ability to access the things and, and situations uh, in this country to, to, you know, more than any other to make those decisions to, to direct our, our own lives. And so um, I was really happy, like you said, it's become everything's hyper politicized. And I think that is unfortunate that the only thing that really changed about politics, right? The president doesn't affect your personal life any more than really they ever did, which is very little. I always like this. I have this law of the inverse relationship of political power. I, I call this law that I made up. The, the level of power somebody has over your personal life is directly inversely proportionate to the level of their office, meaning the guy that inspects your your toilet plumbing and your new bathroom construction can really screw up your life, but the president can hardly do anything to really screw up your life. So the little guy that's the little tyrant in the bureaucracy, the local bureaucracy who just doesn't like that you went a little too far before getting that plumbing inspection inspection can make everything in your household literally stop. And, uh, and so people have unfortunately been convinced to give up their perception, only their perception of power 
and and pe- people are in in uh, the couples therapy over politics. People are in people are losing friends over vax no vax and all this stuff. And I think it's an unfortunate thing that their wool has been pulled over the eyes of so many people that this stuff really like what's the what's the importance really? It's out of it's out of kilter. And so I think that's uh, it's important, you know, to recognize things like the movie, The Social Dilemma, where these very smart people and very smart institutions, big tech, government, et cetera, has learned how to turn their system into a dopamine extraction machine and extract dopamine from people very systematically. And the only way to combat that is to recognize what's going on and to take your power back. And I hope if there's anything anyone gets, whatever it is I do, or we're going to talk about, about anything else, that's the most important thing is how can people bring back the level of power, perceived power that they have in their lives, the massive amount of power they do have to own the trajectory of their lives and not feel like they're these cogs that are being controlled, even if that's true to an extent, by these external forces. Well, let's talk a little bit about you using your own power and how you develop your career. And we obviously have established that, you know, you had this deep-rooted passion for politics and, you know, you're, you're wanting change and you're wanting things to be a certain way. And you got yourself very heavily involved in the nonprofit world, explain how that started for you. Absolutely. Uh, Issue advocacy, as I mentioned, you know, what you could call politics is an inherently negative game. And so no matter how good you are, if you really remain true to principle and don't allow yourself to be bought off with little trinkets and baubles, you know, to be somebody important in, in somebody else's organization or party or hierarchy, you don't end up with any friends and you're constantly fighting battles. And, and the, because of the way humans are constructed in their minds, the fear of loss is, I estimate, about 20 times more powerful than the hope of gain, right? If you say, hey, to somebody, hey, I can show you how to make 20 bucks. They're like, all right, yeah, that might be interested, interesting. But then I can, uh, but then if you tell that same person, hey, you just had a dollar stolen from you by this person, or you're about to have a dollar stolen, one twentieth of the value. People will just crawl over broken glass to not only get the dollar back, but to make the person pay who's trying to take it from them, right? There's just this, it's fear of missing out. It's, it's because we're constructed, you know, through the way people have evolved. You know, we used to have to run around and and look out for danger all the time and everything. And that runs so much of how our neurotransmitters and how our response systems work, that fear is really powerful. So I just was really happy to get out of that and into something where I could, it was always still about empowering me, the little guy. And so when I was eight years old, my mom sat me down one day when she came back from the doctor with my little four-year-old sister, almost four. And she explained to me that my little sister, Monique, would wasn't speaking yet at this, you know, almost four years old, because she never would. Um, It turned out she was developmentally disabled, what we called back in the 70s, mentally retarded. 
And of course, I didn't have any other sisters to compare her to. And I was like, okay, mom, you know, Monique's fine with me. And I went back outside to play with my friends. But fast forward to about 2010, I went to start a, a nonprofit, a 501c3. And I remember finding out as I called, you know, the IRS to, to learn a little bit more, becoming morally outraged when they told me it takes a year to get approved and that uh, it's very complicated. And I started looking at all the horror stories people go through to do something good for someone like my sister. And so this childhood origin story, right? My background in my life, I grew up around Special Olympics. I mean, I just came to realize as an adult, wow, all these cool people did all this nonprofit stuff to help people like my sister. That is so amazing. Then I go to start one and I realize how difficult it is and moral outrage kicked in. And I said, this is bullshit. This, somebody has to solve this because so I found so many people, well, I was going to start a nonprofit, but I couldn't figure out the application or I got rejected or a lawyer took my money and I never got the, the, the around to finishing it. And I ran through their retainer and now I just still work at my old job, you know? And so I set about solving this. And so I called the IRS. Um, they gave me an extension, like a phone number, you know, 855, whatever. And I changed, I decided I was going to find out one way or the other why would this was such a ridiculous, outrageous process. So I changed the last two numbers in the phone number they gave me. And I just kept calling one extension after another, knowing I'd probably get somebody in that same department. And I started putting together, I begged, pleaded and cajoled answers out of these, these agents that would answer uh, about what makes a perfect 501c3 application. How, why does some nonprofits get approved and others don't. What's the biggest thing they see that could improve their day? And I created what I called a love letter to a bureaucrat. So if I was trying to impress someone, you know, at the IRS, what kind of file would I send? I mean, it would just be beautiful. It would have table of contents and chapters and watermarked EIN, which is an identifying number. And they'd be able to drop this thing in a room full of paper and easily put it back together. It would totally make sense. They could stamp the file approved and they could go out to lunch early which is what every desk worker wants to do. And so I tried my process once I had put all this stuff together. And lo and behold, in the face of a normal one-year approval, I got my approval back in about 40 days. And I mean, I was just like over the moon. So that was kind of my path of discovery from just innocently starting, trying to start a nonprofit and then becoming activated and deciding that I would make this easier for other people. Wow, that that's really remarkable. Is this like a process that you teach other people who want to start a nonprofit? Is this just something that you've held to yourself and have just continued to build on with all the other things that you've been trying to do? Yeah, I would say it's something that makes me, you know, like who I am, that sort of I don't take no for an answer if it's something that is, is, is wrong, you know, and I think there, there you go. It's the, it's the underdog thing again, like this, this has to be fixed. And so what I realized is that, you know, people are only going to do certain things once or twice in their whole life. So they don't need to have, they don't need to know how to build a car um, to drive a car, right? The car is there to get them somewhere. And so it's the same thing with a, a, a nonprofit. 
the, the entity, the incorporation, the EIN, the 501c3 application, all the board documents, all the things that we provide for people um, at, at my company um, are, are just a vehicle. What they provide is they know where they want to go. And so if I can remove barriers from them actualizing their mission, how many more people can they help, right? So our mission is to bend the arc of history by finding all these people that want to do good things and get, handing them a vehicle that they can use to get there. But that attitude about not accepting the status quo definitely is in everything we teach, like for fundraising. When we, when we take people... So we have the you know five steps of a nonprofit, which are seed, startup. Seed is like the, the that need people have to start something and make a change. Startup is the entity setting up the vehicle, right? The 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 nonprofit. Um, systemize is like okay, how do I make this work for me and not make it my life really hard? Scale is fundraising and 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 growing the thing, getting the volunteers and the staff that you need, and then of course you know, stewardship or sustainability is the fifth stage in the nonprofit where it kind of just runs. And if you, you know, step on that proverbial banana peel, or as we talked about earlier, when we're, when we're old and gray and we just can't do that anymore, this thing can live on unless it fulfills its cause, which is like the ultimate. So when we talk about fundraising and scaling and making systems, um, there has to be some belief that what you're doing is important enough to have very creative ways around every obstacle. So I do try to bring that into everything that I do in life and everything I teach. How can we look at a problem, even if other people have run into it and kind of be like Elon Musk is with rockets and electric cars and go back to first principles and say, what can we do to not let that be a barrier and, and get real creative about it? And people want to go immediately to the how and I constantly am pulling people back that I talk to, to the why and the what, because then when you're sleeping in the middle of the night, that powerful subconscious of yours and the divine even can inspire you on a brand new how. So if I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, you know, I feel really strongly about this particular topic. I want to start a nonprofit, but I don't want to do all that work to make that happen. That's when I come to you and you have this system and you can help to make that nonprofit a reality. Am I understanding that correct? Absolutely. We, I mean, what we do is take your idea and turn it into an IRS approved 501c3 nonprofit in on average, or for most of our customers, under 30 minutes of work on your part for about a third of what an attorney would charge with an absolute 100% guarantee that this is going to happen. We, we do run that end ball into the end zone, no matter what. Uh, if the IRS has additional questions or they kind of pull you aside for the additional TSA inspection randomly, we're there with you through the entire process and so we've translated the entire thing that the IRS and the state would put you through into English. Um, we collect only the information we need and one time correctly. And then we drive that process through no matter what with kind of that 
won't take no for an answer because we, as we've seen with the pandemic, I mean, systems are breaking down and we've watched different states go from, you know, a week to approve articles to five weeks. And then somebody new comes into the, to run the department. And, you know, we, we have to roll with all that. You shouldn't have to worry about that. You should be able to stay focused on your mission. And we believe that's how we're going to change the world is by helping you focus on your mission while we take care of all these details on a process that you'll probably only have to do, you know, you, you probably only be called to do this once or twice. You shouldn't become an expert. What you should become an expert at is articulating your mission to the people that you want to help you. And then being able to bring in the resources and raise the money to fuel that mission. And that's where I get really passionate and exciting and excited because I, I basically tripped over in the nonprofit space I tripped over fundraising as an art and as an invitation to people to a bigger life instead of sales, totally accidentally. But when once I cracked that code, I was like, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. So if, let's see, I, I lost my train of thought because I'm tired. <laughs> I was going to ask something and now I blanked on what I was going to ask. So, uh, one thing that I can say to kind of keep this conversation going somewhat smoothly here is <laughs> one thing that crossed my mind when you were talking is, so, I was born with cleft lip and palate, and that came with a lot of obstacles in my life, and it's always been kind of like a dream of mine to kind of like pay that forward. It crossed my mind about starting a nonprofit and whatever. And in my mind, before we did this episode, my vision of that was always like, you know, I got to do all this work. I got to do all these things. And didn't realize that there were people out there like you doing this kind of work and I know that there are a lot of organizations that represent you know cleft lip and palate and all that stuff and cranial facial but for me to be where I'm at in life and to do something like that just on my own behalf would be like amazing so for me personally to know that you exist is uh, really amazing. And I actually now remember what I stumbled on because I said all that stuff. I knew there was a reason I wanted to say all that. I wanted to ask you, are there any organizations that you've helped to build up that you're like most proud of? Like, I'm sure you're proud of all your work. You're all your work without knowing who you've helped or what you've really done, like in death, is amazing. But what are you like most proud of? I would say that the organizations that are, I mean, I love all of our organizations and, you know, we have, we have packages from, you know, very, very affordable, right? Somebody just needs to get that nonprofit done. It still includes a done for you 
absolutely everything you need. It's easier for me to say what's not included because we're limited on time here. Nothing is not included, even in our most basic package, which is about $1,000. We have packages all the way up to $6,000, which include more fundraising help and how to operationalize some of your, you know, your, your organization um, for people maybe who have, you know, big ambitions and, uh, and have, you know, maybe had a track record of success. We have a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, they built one, two, three businesses, and now they want to really put a nonprofit together. That's going to be like the next charity water or something. But I love, I don't look at any of those as like better than the other, because um, the, the, the person down the street from me who is uh, helping kids with some, you know, deficiency or, or a sports league or something is, is, is like, I just have so much reverence for everyone who is doing something to help someone else. But true to my overall uh, enthusiasm and, and belief in the unlimited potential that people have that they're unaware of, I love the organizations that are helping to bring a greater level of consciousness or awareness of human potential. So sort of human potential oriented nonprofits are exciting to me. And I'll, there's, you know, I have a couple of examples, um, whether it's, uh, there are some advanced coaching uh, that's, that's available to people. Like I, I'm a fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza. People can learn to meditate in a way that, opens their mind to possibility in a very advanced way, right? So there are some nonprofits that are out to um, help people understand those things and actualize their, a better life through those things. Those excite me. And some, a lot of times the people that need it most, I'm a foster parent. I've adopted a, a little girl, my, my daughter, Josie. And sometimes the people that come out of, say, the foster care system or people who grew up in it in a very challenging environment or or had a, you know, any, a disability or something, they're the last people who can afford, you know, this advanced coaching. And so I love bringing things that can help people that usually uh, you, you, you have to spend a lot of money to get access to those things. I love the organizations that are bringing that, those high levels of, of help to people who could never afford it. Um, that's, that's great, right? Because the people that need it the most often are the ones that can't afford the things that will help them break those patterns and those limiting beliefs and things like that. So, and then there's, you know, there, there's, there's coaching, there's all kinds of different modalities of this. Um, we got a, a, a psychedelic church approved fairly recently and so many uh, soldiers and even people who have had trauma in their lives are being healed through psychedelics. And Tim Ferriss, you know, is, is very, much about that. And he's got, he's raising money for a whole wing of Johns Hopkins University to study this stuff. I, I get excited about those projects. Um, one of my clients right now is starting a sustainable land and community projects all over the world that will have healing and therapeutic retreats. And they're teaching people about blockchain. And they believe that the money supply increase and a lot of and the Instagram society and all these things that people really don't feel great about are eventually going to break down, that our systems might break down and we might need a more genuine model for society. That one really excites me. So that, that's such a huge, big ambition, right? To create something that can help people when 
some of these things break down and, and you know, inflation or access to, you know, a, a real life and, and a more better model for relationships and all that stuff. You know, that same thing is like Steve Jobs saying, here's to the crazy ones, right? That great ad campaign of Apple. And he showed Einstein, a bunch of other weirdos who turned out to be geniuses. But the every genius idea starts out as a crackpot idea. Well, let me tell you, you're a very interesting guest for me because a lot of the guests I've had had some kind of a crossroads in their life. And we all have crossroads. I mean, you know, there isn't anybody who doesn't really have a crossroads, but you kind of just stepped right into the entrepreneurial world pretty much right off the bat. I mean, you, this has pretty much been all you've done your entire career, correct? You haven't had like any other type of job, right? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, I was, I was mixed up. I was a mixed up kid and I, I didn't really have a lot of direction. I had 42 jobs before I discovered this issue advocacy path. And some of them for, were for a day or a week. You know, I'd get a cold calling job or slinging steaks in a kitchen of a restaurant. I'd be like, oh, hey, this, this is definitely not what I'm looking for. And even once I found what I thought was my path, right, doing this issue advocacy and then moving into nonprofits uh, about a few years back, I was trying to do everything that I could to grow this company, be a dad, uh, be a husband and do all these things according to what I thought was the way of going about it. But what I didn't realize is that because of my upbringing, I had some very negative beliefs and some very negative ways of going about things. And I pretty much got to a point where everything in my life suddenly was absolutely burning and absolutely on fire. I, I was, I was, uh, separated and I had a, didn't have a great relationship with my kids. And I had, uh, you know, tried and tried to make this company work and ab absolutely just everything I tried be, became the, the harder I tried, the worse things went. And I got to a point where, um, I lost everything. I literally was just, everything was not working. And then I had this one day that I realized, I mean, I am out of my house. I don't even have a car. I lost my car in the process. And, and, and this after I like raised money for the company and thought everything was just going to go so great and everything crumbled. And I realized that it was all on me. And I just, I didn't really want to live another day like this, but at the same time, I, I, I knew that there was some kind of, there had to be some reason to, to exist. And so I remember on, on the day that I realized that I had pretty much lost everything and that the conclusion came to me that all of these ideas and all of my resourcefulness and my intelligence and all these gifts that I've had through my life were only going to get, make things worse for myself. And I let go of everything was like the beginning of wisdom. And I realized that I was very hard on myself. And I happened to have already planned to go to this transformational workshop for four days that really sort of tore down a lot of ideas and then allowed you to rebuild your, your identity and your, your mind and your mindset and everything from scratch. 
And I was in the perfect place for it. And I remember looking in a mirror, everybody had to look in a mirror. And this was after a couple of days of processes where you kind of assessed your life. And I apologized to myself, like I was another person, you know, I would pick up the smelliest hippie with their dog on the side of the road, give them a ride, put them up in a hotel, buy them food if they were hungry. And I realized I would never, I'd never done that for myself. All I would do is drive myself harder. If I made a mistake, I would criticize myself and say, what the F is wrong with you and all this. And these were all tape recordings that had been put into me by my, my childhood and stuff. Well, when I let go of that and I realized I really didn't know anything, but that I was willing to reassess absolutely everything. I just had this feeling of love and this feeling of like acceptance that came over me. And ever since then, all of the things that I lost have come back to me on my own terms by being willing to truly accept what is. And, you know, Eckhart Tolle, I read The Power of Now. And I had these experiences that equipped me to be super resilient and super um, accepting while still having, I st I'm still that lower middle class from Jersey in some way, some ways. And I'm a driver and I want what I, you know, I, I see an outcome and I'm like, I got to get that. But I've also had this ability to, love myself for the first time in my life and accept um, things that don't go my way without making it, taking it personally and thinking something's wrong with me. And that has allowed me to live such a better life. And since the outer is a reflection of the inner, the company is, is doing well. Uh, the relationship with my kids and, and my life, you know, I'm divorced now in, in, the, in the aftermath of that. But it saved my life to have this experience, I think. And I wouldn't want to go back and do anything any other way. So it has been a very hard trail, but much harder until I had that sort of breakdown and rebuilding awakening process. Wow. That is a story that I can really relate to on a lot of levels. And I know I myself had to really get into adulthood before I just kind of sorted through a lot of my baggage and learned how to love myself more. And it, it really is a process. And it's a process that you really got to have those conversations with yourself and really just be in touch with like who you really are and who you want to be and just accepting who you are and I, I can totally relate to the battle that you were fighting. I know that's a battle that I kind of fought myself for a long time. And frankly, sometimes I still feel like I'm fighting that fight. Oh, and yeah. I, I may fight that battle the rest of my life, but I definitely can say that I put in the time and the energy and I'm definitely in a much better place than I've ever been. So I, I totally relate to your story and definitely commend you for uh, clapping for your victory. I mean, you've come a long way and you've got an amazing thing going. And uh, yeah, it, it's been really amazing hearing your story today. And I think before we round home and wrap up this episode I do want to ask you because you're doing something that's so like 
niche than unusual. I gotta ask what your advice would be to anybody who either wanted to take on the type of entrepreneurial endeavor that you're doing with nonprofit or if you just wanted to start a nonprofit of your own, like what what's your that's a very loaded question, but what would be your advice? Sure. And thanks for asking for that. And thank you for sharing, you know, that you've been on that journey and that path, you know, uh, and that sometimes, I mean, I do, I agree with you. I do incredibly what I used to call stupid things or whatever, you know, just things that don't work. I still do them all the time. Um, I'm very absent-minded. Uh, I kind of am thinking about things all the time and I try to be as present as I can, but like, you know, I'll drive somewhere and, and I left my gym bag at home or, you know, uh, things that I used to just get so mad at myself. And now I'm like, well, I have certain coping mechanisms like my, my iPhone or whatever, but, uh, I, you know, I don't beat myself up as, as much as I used to. And I appreciate you saying that you've had to do that work and it really is work. It's the scariest thing in the world is to face yourself and, um, and, and just be very real with that and not kind of distract yourself and, 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 um, sedate yourself or, uh, invest in things that are fleeting, you know, because ultimately when we pass from this life to the next, we do that alone and all the love and all of the history and all of the family and all that, that's great. But we all ultimately have to sit with ourselves at some point and, um, you know, be with that. So, um, so if someone wants to even consider, you know, starting a nonprofit or know somebody who, who wants to do that, um, they can get an awesome gift that will sort of place them along that hero's journey that I described that I've been on. We're all on, you know, everybody is the hero in their own story, whether they realize it or not. And so, uh, we've got a nice, uh, you know, roadmap that we, we call it. And, what I love about the roadmap that we, we give to people is yes, it shows you where you can go next if you want to start a nonprofit or what, what to do, but it gives people the credit for having lived the life they already lived because everything that you've done up to this point for better or worse, totally screwing up or not, whatever you've put in the miles and no one's put in the miles and got the experience and the, um, the, the journey that you have. And that is everything that you need to go make a difference in the world other than organizing those passions that you now have to address something maybe you or somebody else experienced that you want to fix. You just need to direct that energy in the right way, in the right order. And that's what we can help you do. We can't help you with that passion that you have, or we can't help you have a different experience that you've, than you've had. But man, every single person on this planet has said to themselves at some point, man, I want to do something about that. And now it's just about directing the energy in the right order and the right direction and doing very practical things like getting paid by your own nonprofit. People think you can't do that. You are the best person to get paid by the nonprofit you start. We can show you how to do that. So if you go to um, instantonprofit.com slash mark my words, M-A-R-C, Instantonprofit.com slash mark my words. You can have a strategy call. You can get this roadmap and you can just find out a little bit more. We have a free boot camp on what it takes before you start a nonprofit and then what it's like once you do. Well, I'll tell you what, 
I talked earlier about the whole putting your feet on the desk and feeling like you've made it. I always feel like I've made it a little bit anytime I become like a coupon or advertisement. That's just incredible. So <laughs> I, I am honored to uh, be a part of that with you. So thank you for that. And I, I definitely hope that people uh, come your way because you have so much wisdom on a topic that's like really important. And you have, as far as I know, I don't know of too many people that are like doing what you're doing. So I think it was really amazing to have you on this show today and to learn about what you do for nonprofit. It, this was an incredible hour-ish. Not quite an hour. We're getting close to an hour. But uh, it, it was great hearing from you. Um, I don't know if you have any other social media or any other way that anybody can get a hold of you. Yeah, we're at facebook.com slash instant nonprofit. Twitter, they didn't quite give you enough characters. So it's instant nonprofit with the I in profit removed. So it's like instant nonprofit. Um, and, and certainly LinkedIn. Uh, so that's all on our available from our website at instantnonprofit.com. But if they go to slash mark my words, they can get sort of some easy ways to enter into this conversation and just think about things. Um, but, uh, you know, you're an inspiration to me as well. I'm, you know, I, I listened to your podcast with Eva Payne, for example, who started an awesome nonprofit. And you talked about your background and broadcasting and, and some, some pivots that you had to make and everything. And so I just want to really thank you for, you know, being what I consider uh, my newest friend or, you know, whatever. Uh, I'd love to stay in touch and really wish you, you know, wish you the best. I'd love to, uh, love to have a chat with you again sometime soon. Hey, my door is always open. And speaking of pivots, I'm still making pivots. I feel like I've been pivoting my whole adult life with my career so i'm i'm used to the pivot i guess <laughs> but uh christian it, it was really great having you on today and i think that's about all the time we have for this episode this was christian lefer again of instant nonprofit and Go check him out. I mean, he has incredible wisdom on the nonprofit world. And it was a pleasure listening to your story and learning about you. And that is all we have for this episode. So I'm Mark Schmidt. This was Mark My Words. And you can find me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Nimrod1979, that's a handle I've had for like over 10 years. I refuse to change it. I'm also <laughs> at Mark My Word 6 on Instagram. Also, Nimrod79, if you want to connect with me there. Again, Green Day fan for life. I've been using the Nimrod handle for many, many moons. So 
if you ever want to find me, Nimrod79 is a good way to find me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always conducting a conversation about entrepreneurship there. And you can also find me on the Wisdom app where I'm a mentor for uh, the Wisdom app. And this is an app where you do one-on-one talks with people about topics that you're passionate about. And I believe I'm just there at Mark Schmidt. So just to kind of tell everybody how to find me, that's how you can find me. But this was Mark My Words. I'm Mark Schmidt. This was Christian LaFer. And thanks for listening. I'll be back with a new episode soon. And so long for now. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy day to listen to Mark My Words. If you would like to connect with me beyond the show, you can find me on LinkedIn at Mark Schmidt, where I will be talking about entrepreneurship, careers, and anything else that is on my mind. You can also connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Nimrod1979 and Nimrod79 respectively. This podcast also has a page on Instagram at MarkMyWords. And finally, if you want to leave me a voicemail or check out what I'm up to with the podcast, come find me at podpage.com slash mark dash my dash words. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back with a new episode soon. Bye for now.